The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. The shepherds went in haste to Bethlehem and found Mary and Joseph and the infant lying in a manger. When they saw this, they made known the message that had been told to them about the child. All who heard it were amazed by what had been told them by the shepherds. And Mary kept all these things, reflecting on them in her heart. When these shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, just as it had been told to them. When eight days were completed for his circumcision, he was named Jesus, the name given him by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. There are certain, uh, certain readings, certain times in Scripture, certain times, certain Scripture speaks more than others. And specifically for today, uh, the second reading, I, every single time as I'm preparing for this homily, as I'm kind of reviewing it, I just want to reread the second reading and just say, did you just hear that? Did you, did you understand the significance of what just happened in the second reading? Now, I'm not going to just reread it to you because you just heard it. Uh, but I do uh, want us to kind of pick out a few things, and, and specifically if we were to look back at anything, the second reading is really, I think, the heart of what we kind of get on this feast day, which is the solemnity of Mary, Mother of God. Now, that's the English translation. The Latin is Mater Dei, which is Mater, Mother, Dei, God. Uh, but the Greek, which is actually kind of uh, more of the root of today, is Theotokos. Theo, from theology, right? Theo is God. Theology, Theo, Theotokos. And Tokos has more of this bearing, kind of, uh, than a, a mother. But it's a childbearing, right? It's this bearing, this, this uh, bearing not just holding, but, but a more internal really holding and bearing and taking place. Now, this is a a Marian uh, feast day, right? So it's Mary, mother of God, right? So we're focused on Mary. But actually, as is true with most of Mary's life and most of what we know about Mary and most of what we honor within Mary, everything is pointing towards Jesus. And this feast day actually speaks more about Jesus than it does Mary. Because Uh, When we say that Mary is the mother of God, we are saying something about Mary, but ultimately about who Jesus is. And that's why it's so important that we actually honor Mary as the mother of God, because it's so important for us to acknowledge who Jesus is. Now, what specifically about Jesus does it tell us? Well, it tells us Um, linked in with the second reading, the importance of Jesus being one person that's fully human and fully divine. Because if he's not fully human and he's not fully divine, then the second reading doesn't work. If he's not fully human and fully divine, and if he's not one person, then he can't save us. Because if he's not God, then he doesn't, his death and resurrection, his sacrifice 
isn't enough to save us. And if he's not human, then he doesn't have enough unity with us to be able to bring us up and and save us. So he needs to be fully human and fully divine. And so beautifully, the second reading, when the fullness of time had come, I love that line, the fullness of time, right? This is not the right time. It's like God has prepared. It's full. It's poignant. The time when Jesus came was the perfect time because it was the fullness of time. And so the fullness of time, though, is certainly when Jesus came. But I think every single age is the fullness of time that we live in. And right now is the fullness of time when God is revealing himself still to us. In the fullness of time, God sent his son, born of a woman, under the law. Now, when we speak about under the law, we speak about his humanity, right? So his humanity is underneath the burden and the weight of the law. And so we know that this says born of a woman, right? So Jesus did not just put on, as was kind of imagined in the early church in certain heresies, was kind of a meat coat, right? He just appeared to us as human. No, he was born of a woman. And he wasn't just born of a woman separated from humanity, but he was still under the law. And he did that so that he could ransom those under the law, so that he could be one of us, so that humanity could be broken free of the yoke of sin, of condemnation, of uh, the weight of all those things. And so that we might be brought up in our unity with him as humanity might be received as adoption as sons. Now, in uh, adoption isn't exactly always, uh, what do I want to say, the most exciting thing in this, but Adoption, especially in the Roman time, was, was just as strong as blood relationship. In fact, if they adopted someone, they got all the rights of the family. I mean, it's still same true today, but, you know, sometimes we, you know, uh, adoption is just kind of, yeah, it's a, it's a little bit harder. It kind of seemed like, oh, it's not really, we're not really sons and daughters. No, by adoption is fully, we receive every single right as being uh, blood, right, children of them. And that's so that we are able to continue to cry out, Abba, Father. Now, how does that all come about? Well, it comes all about because, again, he's fully human and fully divine. This feast day of of Mary, Mother of God, came about in the early church. Now, the early church, there was uh, a huge debate between who Jesus is. Because even though scripture is clear about Jesus's humanity and divinity, it's also not clear. As true with many Christian truths that we understand and know, they're inherent within scripture, but they kind of started in the church as a seed. And we had to continue to help it to develop and blossom for us to understand it. And we see that most especially within history, the teachings of the church, and specifically through the councils. And so, specifically as Catholic, well, as Christians in general, but especially as Catholics, we need to know our history because if we forget our history, if we don't know where things come from, sometimes we don't understand the significance. And the significance of Theotokos comes in this debate between fully God, fully man. In the early, in the early church, that was, there was two different schools that kind of emphasized one or the other because uh, they, they thought 
you know, they needed to emphasize one or the other. But whenever you emphasize one over the other, you often degrade one. And so it was two different schools, Alexandrian school and the Antiochian school. Uh, now, this debate about fully human and fully man was decided in the Council of um, uh, Nicaea, but uh, there was a heresy that came about called from Nestorian. And Nestorian said, Mary is the mother of God. He didn't like that term because as today with many of our modern ears and, and many Protestants will accuse us of, it makes it seem as though we're placing Mary as the same as God. And I think if we were placing Mary as God, their you know, critique would be valid. We're not, however. We're saying Mary is the mother of God because if she's the mother of Jesus, she's the mother of Jesus completely in his humanity and his divinity. Not that she created his divinity, but that she gave birth to Jesus, who is fully human and divine. Now, Nestorius said, well, we can't quite say that. We can't say that Mary is the mother of God. We can say that Mary is the mother of the Christ. So we're going to do that because if you say that he's mother of God, then you get into, you get into problems. And he taught that, and in the Antiochian school, it actually worked out really well. He went to Constantinople, was teaching, and he started to receive some resistance. So really funny is that he was friends with the emperor, and the emperor actually went along with him and was like, was an historian as well, thinking, yeah, you can't call Mary mother of God. You can call her Mary the mother of Christ, because, you know, if you call her mother of God, then you got some problems. And so an historian, and try to clear his name and so that he didn't receive resistance, he actually convinced the emperor at that time. The emperor was the one who often convened the councils and, and brought all the bishops in. And so they, he brought in all the bishops. The emperor actually called this council, the Council of Ephesus in 431. And Nestorian thought that he was going to get his way. He didn't. <laughs> he didn't. The, the majority of the bishops who came together, ultimately discussing theology, working with the Holy Spirit came to decide that, no, uh, Mary needs to be called Mary, mother of God. And so because if you try to separate Jesus Christ, you separate and ultimately can't have our humanity. And so uh, Nestorian uh, lost the fight. Uh, he went and kind of got kicked out of Constantinople, which was kind of the head of the Roman Empire at that time, and lived as a monk for the rest of his life and eventually actually recanted his views on Mary, Mother of God. It beautifully kind of shows the work of the Holy Spirit in this all. It also shows, at least for me, in how simple yet complicated things are, which is so often true within the church. Simply looking at it, it's pretty clear, Mary, the Mother of God. But as we start to look into it, it gets really complicated. There's a huge amount of history. There's everything else. And so hopefully as we look at it, we're able to understand and learn more about Jesus, learn more about the working of the Holy Spirit in the church, and hopefully trust and have faith more in God. I would say one of the other things that we'll, we're about to celebrate right now is, is the Eucharist. And the Eucharist, similarly to Mary, is often confused and say, what really is the Eucharist? Well, the church professes that the Eucharist is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. We say, well, it looks like a piece of bread, right? We can't really say that it's Jesus because then, well, except for we can. Jesus has given us this Eucharist. And so we adore him. We trust the church 
even if we don't understand it all. Uh, we give thanks for the history and the continued building up of this. And we also give thanks to our mother Mary, who uh, beautifully continues to lead us closer to Jesus. And so for this feast day, uh, which helps uh, teach us about Jesus and remind us of our true salvation, um, we bring in this new year. Uh, Lastly, kind of one other kind of tidbit about this solemnity, right? It's a holy day of obligation. Holy day of obligation, uh, not being, uh, hopefully putting a, a huge weight on you, but ultimately it offers you more opportunities to celebrate this feast day, right? That's why the church has a holy day of obligation, not because it wants to weigh more things on you, but because it wants you to be able to celebrate the important things. Now, of course, with COVID, it's a little bit different. It's not exactly an obligation right now. Uh, but it is one of the feast days that we offer more opportunities for you to go to Mass. It's also interesting, at least for me, I thought for a while it was Mary, the Mother of God, was January 1st because it's the start of the new year, right? It's a good, you know, it's got to be a big feast day. It's the 1st of January. Well, actually, it's, uh, the feast day is on January 1st, not because it's January 1st, the first day of the year, but because it's eight days after Christmas. And so it's the 8th day, the, the final octave of Christmas. And so that's why uh, this feast day is today. But we also tonight get to celebrate it with the new year as well in kind of that. So uh, as we continue, continue to ask Mary's intercession, continue to meditate on faith of who Jesus uh, is and his great role in salvation.